Mpimelo Mutine on Life Happens weekdays 1 to 3 p.m. on SAFM. Naye Lupondwana on SAFM. Let me introduce you to our guests for today in no particular order. These are the guests that will be joining us to give us some perspective on the subject for today. We do have Reverend Kenneth Mishwe, the president of the African Christian Democratic Party. Reverend, good evening to you and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Good evening, sir, and thank you very much for having me on your show. Thank you very much, Reverend. Also, Professor Faridi Sack, professor in religion studies at the University of Johannesburg and a board member of Africa for Palestine. Good evening to you, Professor, and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Uh, thank you very much. Always a pleasure to be with you and your listeners. And also, Mamukuli Zepete. Mamu Zepete is a member of the Baha'i Faith. Mamu Zepete, good evening to you, and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Good evening, Nayak. Good evening, listeners. I want to jump right in and begin perhaps with you, Mamu Zepete, since it is Women's Month, we might as well give you the honor and also be honored to hear your voice first. <laughs> From your take, is there a role that religion ought to play to make sure religious organizations, particularly, to make sure that we fight corruption in the country? Good evening again, Naya. Thank you for the honor. The simple answer is not just a role that religious leaders or religion should play in fighting this evil that is wrecking our country, it's actually, I would say, it's an indispensable role to play. Why, uh, why am I saying that? Baha'u'llah, in one of his tablets, when it, de- it defines religion, he says religion is very the chief instrument for the establishment of order in the world and of tranquility among its peoples. The greater the decline of the religion, the more grievous the waywardness of the ungodly. This cannot but lead, in the end, to chaos and confusion, which, to me, when I think of corruption, is really total chaos and confusion. Actually, Baha'u'llah continues, he says, religion is a radiant light and an impregnable stronghold for the protection and welfare of the peoples of the world. In this case, I would say for the protection of everyone or the people in South Africa. Therefore, he continues saying, should the lamp of religion be obscured, chaos and confusion will ensue, will ensue. And the lights of fairness and justice, of tranquility and peace will cease to shine. So based on these words of Baha'u'llah, I saying the religion has a big role to play in fighting corruption, not only looking up to, up like Utwe Bible and Pagamisalamasen, look up to the government to fight it in the streets, to fight it in the neighborhood, to fight it in, inside the temples, the churches, the synagogues, wherever we say we have people because the religion is the one that is close to the people. So it has that role. 
uh, Reverend, from your perspective, from your party and from your faith as a Christian, does religion have a place to play and a role to play to fight corruption in our country? Definitely. I, I must admit that uh, religious leaders must share the blame for corruption that is getting out of control. And uh, to justify what I just said, I want to read two or three verses of scriptures. The Go first ahead. one, Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 11 says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds, but rather expose them. Now, religious leaders have a, a responsibility to expose the rot, the wrong, corruption, and evil they are aware of. And this is not happening as it should. There is a covering up of people because either family connections, political connections, or business connections. There is a protection and a covering up, which is wrong. It's a violation of Ephesians 5.11. Wickedness must be exposed. All religious leaders who are fulfilling their duties must be whistleblowers. That's the first one. And the second one, Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, that speaks about preaching. It says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Now, here are the three important points. Convince, rebuke, exhort. Some translations, um, like um, NIV, for example, it speaks, I must quickly, 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 quickly run there. Um, it says, NIV says, correct, rebuke, encourage. Okay? Please, the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct. When people do wrong, use your preaching to correct. Number two, use your preaching to rebuke. Those who refuse correction, those who are doing wrong, must be rebuked. And thirdly, it says encourage. Those who are doing right, encourage them to continue doing right. So the exposing of evil is not happening as it should, and the rebuking of those who are insistent in doing wrong is also not happening. Because people, unfortunately, including religious leaders, want to be politically correct. And this, obviously, as, soon as, as long as it continues, corruption in society will continue unabated. We must, as religious leaders, agree we have fought it. When those political leaders we are supporting and we are working with, or business leaders we are working with, or we are supporting, or we are partners in, are doing wrong, our duty is to expose the evil and the corruption that they're busy with. Thank you for that. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, yeah. uh, Reverend. Uh, Professor, from an academic perspective, and I've always appreciated the objective perspective that you bring into the conversation, very insightful. Now we're listening to these two guests, and I'd like to hear your take. Does religion 
play this role that both of them are suggesting they ought to play? Um, well, I, I mean, first of all, I appreciate uh, the views of the other two panelists, um, but I don't think um, it is so much what, uh, whether it is the Baha'i or the Christian or any other text say. I mean, texts say many, many things, and believers uh, do uh, very many different things. So it's, it's good that texts are exalted in the struggle against corruption, um, but there are, far, there are a number of other dynamics at place. Um, <clears throat> very often, uh, so of course, religion by its very nature has a prophetic role to speak truth to power, um, and that includes speaking truth in the face of corruption. But very often, um, <clears throat> inside religious institutions, um, uh, you find um, absolutely religion, absolute corruption, on a grand scale, um, in uh, a number of churches of a particular kind, uh, particularly those espousing a gospel of prosperity, um, you find um, the whole tithing thing, um, and the money doesn't really often go to, uh, to, uh, to the beneficiaries of the church or the ordinary congregant or welfare project. They go to these uh, founders of the church. So uh, religious institutions themselves um, are not uh, free from the problem. And this is a serious problem because when religious uh, um, entities themselves are engaged in corruption, it, uh, it implicates them and they're not free to speak to the people, to the very people who fund them. The second thing is the tendency to think of corruption as entirely that of politicians. On the one side, the taker of the bribe is a politician, but on the other hand, the giver of the bribe is often an ordinary congregant um, or an ordinary businessman. And those people always fall below the radar because the emphasis is on, um, the emphasis is on politicians. It should quite rightly be because the uh, politicians, they work for us, they are paid for us, they are paid by us, the businessman doesn't work for us. The ordinary citizen doesn't work for us. So politicians ought to be held to a different set of accountability. But it doesn't help when religious leaders continue to seek favors from politicians um, and, um, and when ordinary people uh, are as colluding uh, inside corruption. But in the middle of this, I think religion, for whatever all of its own sins, um, has always played a prophetic role in the lives of our people, calling people to higher ideals, and therefore continue to have this role, uh, despite the fact that uh, their own record is often marred by complicity in corruption. All right. On that very note, I'd like to encourage each and every one of you to send your WhatsApp texts, your voice notes, send your text messages, tweet Put up your ideas and your views on Facebook and would love to hear from you what you have to say. You're listening to our guests and what they're saying. And I do wish to explain this very clearly. What we're talking about now is not just what should be happening, but what actually can be done. And that's what I want to come back and ask both of you, beginning with um, the, the Reverend. Reverend, I understand when you say 
religious movements and religious leaders need to speak out. But does speaking out really change anything? I say this because we have activists who speak out. We have journalists who speak out. We have opposition political parties who speak out. We have whistleblowers who speak out, but it would appear as though it yields no results whatsoever. Isn't there something somewhat spiritually superior that religious organizations can do other than just speaking out? Hashtag SAFM Facts of Faith. Welcome back and thank you very much for staying tuned with us. We are trying to get a few things sorted out. Let's hope that they will get sorted out. All right, let's pick up from where we left off and uh, we were trying to get some clarity on what is happening as far as corruption in our country and what the role of political parties like uh, Reverend Kenneth Mishu's party, which is a religious political party, churches, synagogues and so forth. What their role actually is now you heard them suggesting that they should speak out should being the operative word the question that i'd like clarified and perhaps we're going to begin with reverend mishwe reverend mishwe if we know that speaking out has not yielded much fruit we have seen activists speaking out we have heard journalists speaking out we have heard many whistleblowers speaking out speaking out doesn't seem to be working why would religious organizations resort to speaking out as well um one cannot celebrate the work of religious uh, leaders particularly christians from preaching which is speaking out one of the problems the main problem is that there has not been speaking out from the church, okay? When we talk about exposing evil, how many church people can you mention, Naye, and say so-and-so has been exposing the corruption that was perpetrated by so-and-so? You can't think of it because it is not happening. I think church leaders must start confronting one another, rebuking one another, and saying to them, stop seeking favors from politicians. Stop seeking favors from those doing wrong. If church leaders were speaking out and confronting these politicians, I promise you, even during elections, they would not be churches. They are running to the churches because regardless of how much money they've stolen or looted, the church, some many church leaders in South Africa will give them a platform to lie to them rather than correcting them. So that's why in the beginning I said, we should take the blame. The church must take the blame because we want what these guys have to offer more than correcting them for the sake of the whole society. In 1995, I'm told that the late President Mandela was in Polokwane, it was Petersburg at that time. And during dinner that was hosted by church leaders, they say the former president appealed the church leaders and said to them, please don't just come because of free meals. Speak 
government, correct the government where government is wrong. He made an appeal because he saw that churches were not doing that. So our main responsibility, we are failing at it. The churches are failing at it. If we can say so and so, I mean, Archbishop Tutu, we know he has said so much against corruption, but he's one of the few that you can count. Who else can you say confronted so and so? Some of these churches, the looters are sitting in their churches. But because they want their offerings, they are quiet. So the fall, because the problem is not because their voices are not heard. It's because their voices are not heard. Not their heard and not heeded, but they are not heard. That's the problem. And I'm saying that church leaders must start confronting each other so that they will start telling the truth. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but I do remember the Council of Churches actually delivering a report a few years ago on their own investigations into a number of things that are happening. I just cannot remember what the title of the report was. Do you not know about this? You see, the Council of Churches, I agree, they would make a report after how many months. When we have people in our churches every Sunday, when we see corruption every day, but to wait for reports that will come after 12 months is not helping. People we need to speak out whenever they see it every day because it's happening every day, not once a year, and it will be solved by one report in 12 months or two years, but on a daily basis. Stealing is taking place every day, looting is taking place every day, and many of the people who are looting are in their churches. Their leaders know about it, but because, I repeat, they want the money they offer in the church, they are caught. They're not confronting them. Perhaps um, I must uh, read you this uh, headline. This is from six days ago there, uh, uh, Reverend. Headline reads, South African Council of Churches to mobilize society response against corruption. These are just two headlines to that effect about six days ago. I'm saying this because the question that still remains is, speaking out does happen. I'm glad that you were able to recall that the Arch did speak on numerous occasions against this. And I'm saying this because these are not the only ones. These are just the famous ones. We do have religious leaders speaking out against corruption and many other ills in our country. But the question still stands. In spite of all of that, it doesn't seem to be yielding results. Why then would you resort to something also as religious organizations that bear no results? Let me say this maybe before I give others a chance. If Naye is a looter, and I'm afraid of of, uh, confronting Naye, I'm just speaking in general. Uh, Corruption is wrong, corruption is wrong. Uh, Look at what's happening in Limpopo. While Naye with me on the chair in the same place is doing it and it's not confronted. He will think that they don't see me and because they don't see me, I'll continue. So the time is now when when Nathan confronted David after David committed sin with Bathsheba. He did not speak in generalities. He did not speak in generalities. He said, you. When John the Baptist rebuked Herod, he didn't speak in generalities. He said, you. So we need to have the courage and the bravery and the conviction to confront the looters. Because if they are confronted, they will not play in the church. They are playing in the churches because they are not confronted. That is why even anti-rape, anti-gender-based violence, many abusers are taking part in those matches. Many rapists are taking part 
in the market against rape. All right? They do that. Until they are confronted directly, they'll continue doing that. So I'm saying the church must confront these people that we know. Many times they mention the names, but they are not confronted by religious leaders. Mamus Peter, I've noticed you that you'd like to jump in right here, but I just want us to, to press this point up until it bleeds if it has to. Yes. Uh, Reverend, I'm, I'm, I'm actually curious to follow your uh, thought process. You're saying uh, religious leaders must say you, not speak in generalities. Let's talk about you. Uh, the fact that you have not pointed out anybody doesn't mean you don't see any corruption happening. Or are you covering it up as well? No, 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 no. Uh, okay, you can say, okay, Reverend, you are also to blame. That's why you have not mentioned me. Okay? Now, I'm saying what I can mention, because in my party I don't see this. What I can mention is what I read in the newspaper. And I've said what I read in the newspapers, that the others are aged and the others are involved, they must be arrested. Okay, I can say that. But now, if people in my circle, and I know for sure, I've seen them, and I don't say anything. That's where the guilt comes. Many of the religious leaders, I repeat, they are in the churches, they are known, but they are not confronting these that they know in their circles. That's why I was asking, if you know them in your churches, Reverend, why haven't you spoken out? Or are you suggesting that there are no corrupt people in your churches? Well, in, in, in my church or the church I attend, they are, don't have anybody who is involved in us. Who right. has been involved in corruption. All right. Mama's better. You wanted to jump in. Go ahead. Okay. Now, uh, I hear Reverend with, uh, and I understand and I agree with him, but all these things, legal imperatives, penalties, uh, shouting, condemning, exposing, to me, as much as they are essential, they are limited. What the religious leaders have to do, unfortunately, the, 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 now we are at a stage where to distinguish the vital characteristics of religion from the distortions that falsely pose in, in the name of, it's a challenge that religious leaders or religions are facing. To me, they should first, we should first understand and acknowledge that there is a serious moral disorientation which is threatening all social institutions, including religion. And to condemn only, there must be action. Words are for everyone. Bahá'u'lláh actually says that words are for are common to everybody, but we need deeds. And your question, if I understand, what should religious organizations or leaders do practically to, 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 to not only to condemn or to expose, that is good, but personally and according to the Baha'i perspective, now religion, if we understand that it, ha- it is an indispensable source of knowledge and motivation where especially values such as honesty, fidelity, generosity, humility, courage, all those virtues are the issues of the spirit. The religious organization, like I said, says they cannot only look up. They must start in the street. What do I mean by that? By not just uh, uh, disclosing or, or exposing, by educating people that all these things for social cohesion to take place, 
we need both resources of mind and the spirit. The professor was correct to say that there's a lot of distortion now, and actually people have lost trust even in the religion, which agrees with what Baha'u'llah was saying, that should the lamp of religion be obscured, which unfortunately I would agree that it is obscured now, and it's not showing, there is chaos and there is confusion. So religious organizations should start to do the groundwork of educating people in the issues of mind, not only spirit, because that will also end in fanaticism and people again get exploited. Issues of the mind and issues of the spirit. And to understand the values that if you are serving people, whether you are sleeping in the street or you are the president, you are the servant of the people, and you have to take the words of Baha'u'llah, say, cause no corruption in the earth, and dispute not with anybody. Serve the people. If we can all be the servants of the people, if, if we are in position of power, if we are not, I am ordinary citizen, I should know that I cannot be corrupt. What does it mean, Mamos Pet? Not only in the offices, it's in the street, it's in our families, it's in our churches, it's in our temples. Well, where Reverend disputes that it is in his church. And I'm curious, Mamos Pet, when we are talking so pleasantly here on the radio, are you suggesting that religious leaders are not doing this? That's why corruption is not remedied in this country. Religious organizations are not doing Is that why things are not changing? If, if, I, may, if I may come in here, um, I think that we may be attributing far too much authority and social power to religious leaders. The truth is that books, uh, thoroughly researched books, are being published all the time about specific areas of corruption, whether it is in the Free State or in the Eastern Cape, um, our bookstores are littered with books that detail and provide evidence against individuals, politicians, and others, businessmen in corruption. None of these politicians or businessmen have ever taken any of these authors to court to sue them for defamation. This, at least, is an indication that there is a prima facie case of guilt and culpability. Now, if books have been written about individuals who have been corrupt, um, and these books have been on the market for more than two years, we've got a Zondo commission that has been running for a year and a half, um, and there has been, well, only over the weekend did we see some kind of raid where a couple of cars and a couple of houses were impounded. And so the truth is this, that the problem of corruption in South Africa is far deeper than something that can be addressed by advice or by a sermon, or by some preaching, or by some homily. Um, and so I'm afraid, I think that uh, important as churches and religious institutions may be in our country, but we overestimate the power of these institutions to intervene in this particular problem. I think that the problem is much deeper, much more complex um, than to just say, um, talk to your people, sermonize to them, uh, preach to them. This may be helpful in a few cases, in a few individual cases, but the larger systemic corruption of international companies, for example, in the arms trade that bribes South African politicians, is a huge, extensive, complex international network at hand. And so, you know, if I may use a bit of a crass analogy, 
it's like, you know, you have a sex worker on the street here, and she stands uh, naked, and the whole neighborhood makes a huge fuss about her. Um, but nobody pays attention to networks of sex workers, networks of sex trade, because that's sophisticated, that's below the radar. So all of us make a lot of fuss about the woman that's standing naked on the street in our own neighborhood. And so I want to suggest that, you know, I mean, I'm not suggesting that the religion and religious institutions are irrelevant, but I'm afraid if we are going to be insisting that all of our responses are going to be limited to sermonizing and to preaching and so on, we're really missing the much bigger picture um, and the political crisis that's facing our country because of uh, corruption. All right, hold the thought. I'm going to take a break and come back and have your text messages, your WhatsApps and all that in a short while. Naye Lupondwana on SAFM. Sermonizing doesn't work. Speeches don't work. Then what exactly do we have religious organizations for if perhaps they are even overrated in what people expect? Reverend, you, you'd like to respond. Now, uh, before you go to, went to the break, I wanted to, to, to say two things. Uh, firstly, uh, I agree with the, what the prophet is saying. The problem of corruption is much bigger than any individual group can manage on their own. Um, five years ago, I went to the police station. After I went to the Human Rights Commission about a a young pastor, so-called, from Pretoria, who was making people drink petrol. I went to discuss the matter with the Human Rights Commission. It was chaired at the time by Advocate Mushwana. I said, Are people are being abused. Have you taken action? Because I want to lay a formal complaint. And they said to me, that they have tried, Human Rights Commission, that they have tried to lay charges. But the problem is witnesses, who should be the victims of the abuse, are refusing to testify. From there, I went to Harangua police station. I, the same thing I said, I want to lay a charge against this pastor because he's abusing people. Making people drink petrol is wrong. And they said, they said, Rev, we can go right now to Harangua Hospital, where some patients still there, are still lying there. They said, we have been there, they are refusing to lay charges, and if we do not have witnesses, this case will not hold in court. So now, what do you do when the court are saying, unless the victims come and are willing to testify, we will not take a case? What do you do when the police who are corrupt, either they deliberately make the, the, um, the, the cases to disappear, the files to disappear, what do you do? The Hawks have cases that are more than three or four years old. The Hawks are not taking action. Courts are not taking action. So those perpetrators think if the courts are not doing anything to us, the profit is correct. There are books that are written. Information and evidence is there. Prima facie evidence is there. But there is no willingness also. So the judicial system also must be brought into play.
because they are also failing those who want to be whistleblowers. The police, many times, when you become a whistleblower, they tell the criminal that it is Reverend who came to lay a charge against you. Is okay? They mention them to people, and those criminals they go and say, "What were you trying to do? I'll get you," and then the case disappears. So it is not fair to say leaders are failing. We are contributing by our silence. But some of us are trying. I've been to the Human Rights Commission. I've been to the police station. Nothing was done about my complaints. You're, you're, so miss- you you're missing one small but very important part about religious organizations and religious leaders, which should distinguish you from the rest. That you are claiming to have some spiritual connection with a superior power. Mm-hmm. When you're speaking about Nathan, who would come and speak directly to David, he didn't go to the police of the time. He didn't go to the Scorpions. He didn't go to any of the local authorities. He was sent by a superior power. When we're speaking to religious organizations today, we're speaking to people who allegedly have a connection to a superpower. Where is that superpower now? Where is that authority to speak from the voice of God? Yes, Reverend. Yes, Reverend. That superpower. Can I come in? Yes, go ahead, Reverend. Okay. That superpower, that superpower, God himself, he has given authority to government. There are things that God can do, that there are things that he will not do because he has given men the responsibility. You gave the example of Nathan, Reverend. It was God who had set up (laughs) David to be king. And it was God who sent Nathan to David. This God is the God that gives power to the governments and the prophets to to take down that government when that government is is misleading the the people. My question to you is, where is that God that you are leading when things go wrong? Where are the Nathans of today? No, Uh, God does not take away the will of men. God does not do what men should do. God will answer prayer. He will show you what is wrong. He will show you who's wrong. And the police must arrest that one who's wrong because the church does not have authority. But Reverend, you gave the example the of Nathan. The church can speak about, can be withdrawn, but they cannot have the power to arrest. You're playing in so my the field there, Reverend, you're, you're playing in my field. I am the civilian who's going to look for police. I'm asking you about your example. You came up with an example of Nathan. Nathan, who did not wait for being a whistleblower or asking for police. And we are talking today, this hour, is for people who have a connection to a superior being. This omnipotent, all-powerful God. Where is that power now? We're not talking about whistleblowers. We're talking about the ability of this God to say, Nathan, go tell David that I'm going to kill him for what he has done. Why is it it that you're not doing anything now? I'm saying... Go ahead, Reverend. Am I on? Yeah, go ahead. We're listening. Okay. All right. We are on the same page. I'm saying this superior thing you are talking about. God himself showed Nathan what, the, what wrong he did. Many of these guys, like the boys who are feeding people petrol, they have been confronted. Okay? Nathan confronted David. But what did David do? David repented. You have these young pastors who are feeding people petrol and rest and all. They are confronted, but they don't repent. So if they don't repent, they want the big stick. And who must give that big stick is government. Those people must be arrested because they are abusing people. So God has done his part by exposing, by showing who's doing what. 
as he showed Nathan, Nathan confronted David. Now, when David, if David refused to repent, it would be something else. So okay. some of these guys who are corrupt, they are confronted, but they still move on as if nothing has been done, as, as, as if they have not done anything wrong, because they know that you can't touch them. They have the political connections. You can't touch them. What do you do? It's frustrating. And God, obviously, is going to hold accountable those that have the power and the authority to punish those guilty people, and yet they allow them to go ahead with their corruption. Okay, I'm going to take a break and come back. Mama's bet I heard you. You're going to jump in, uh-huh. and then we'll have the professor respond as well shortly after the break. Stand by. SAFM. Prime time all day long. Welcome back, and thank you very much for sticking around. Mama's bet Bahaula was arrested, taken to prison because he was saying things that the authorities of the time did not like. This yes. is one of the things that Bahaula was made prominent by, quite frankly, the Baha'i faith grew exponentially after his arrest and detention. Where are the Baha'u'llahs of today? Why is it that the power of speaking and things happened that Baha'u'llah had at the time seems to have been extinguished with the expiration of Baha'u'llah? Yeah, that's the question. I would say Baha'u'llahs of today are there, but <laughs> the, the people who have been given the moral authority to carry on that work, not those martyrs more than who died, but now today I, as myself and other people and other people who claim to believe in the omniscient God, the all-powerful God, we have been given moral authority to work on creating a corruption-free space. But now we have, I would agree with everybody that, that we, have, we have laid back and watched this space and maybe participated. But the, my, my point I want to say, if in the Baha'i perspective, what Baha'u'llah instructs me, to be able to create that corruption-free space depends on building up of moral capacity within individuals and communities and institutions. So now what we do, we look up, individuals are let there, or maybe we go and preach and only. But we have to work with individuals on the ground so that they know their responsibility and their duty and the institutions, I will agree a little bit with Reverend that the institutions are failing communities. But that doesn't mean individuals and communities should say, okay, institutions are failing us. If I still believe, if the, in the communities and the individuals would take upon themselves to develop not only, uh, again, exposing or telling who's corrupt, to develop to build that moral capacity within themselves. The question would be, what practical strategies that societies can adopt that will raise up from within themselves positive social actors who choose to lead lives of service and probity? That's that's where I have a problem there, Mamuspet. Education is an indispensable tool. Mamuspet, that's where I have a problem with religious organizations who are going to tell me what I am already doing as civil society. I don't have the power that you guys have. 
As a journalist, mm-hmm. I have the pen, and that's the only sword that I have. But you, yes. as religious organizations, again and again, claim to have a connection that is far beyond police and strategies. If we're talking about situations that need strategies, the very Baha'u'llah, when the other Babis were arrested with him, he gave mm-hmm. them a solution. How to chant those prayers? He gave them solutions. He didn't say, let us come up with a solution, society. <laughs> no. My curiosity is, why tools. is religious organizations coming? We need the spiritual tools. We need to develop those spiritual tools. But you don't so, have them as religious organizations. Why aren't you giving us those solutions, Mums Pitt? We, we do have, but we have chosen not to. And that's why I was saying in the beginning, the, the, the responsibility, the religion has stopped doing what it's supposed to do. The lamp which they have been given by God... God-given lamp of shining the world, that lamp has been covered. It's obscured. All right. Hence, we are facing this chaos. All right, Professor, you're listening to your colleagues. It would appear as though they agree with you, even though they, we may not agree with the idea perhaps of now shutting down mm-hmm. and joining other organizations that are not necessarily religious and do what we're all doing and come up with strategies. Your comment, Professor. We need that collaboration now. In the age we are living in, we cannot, uh, again, religious organizations or leaders cannot go their own way and other social institutions and organizations go their own We need collaboration. We need everybody to participate from in the, all the three protagonists, that is individuals, communities, and institutions. All right. And we need them together. All right. Uh, Professor, would you like to respond to these two remarks from uh, the Reverend <laughs> and Mamuz Pet? First of all, I think that a multi-pronged attack on corruption is important. And a multi-pronged attack on corruption includes, of course, uh, pastoral work, addressing your own congregants and people at a personal level and so on. Um, but I'm not quite sure if I'm convinced about the idea of a spiritual response. And the whole idea that God is on our side or and that uh, God doesn't want to intervene at the moment and so on. Um, I don't know. Um, uh, we have a serious empirical a social problem in front of us, and that is the only way in which uh, meaningfully we can possibly hope to tackle it. Um, and at the same time, I do think, as I said earlier on, uh, that religious uh, institutions, uh, we need to be a little bit more humble. Um, they're not nearly as powerful as what they would like to imagine. Uh, nearly all the religions, all the religious people and institutions think that they have a power beyond the material power of the earth. Um, and unless we don't take uh, the politics of corruption and the economics of corruption, what is it that drives ordinary people to participate in corruption? Unless we tackle, as Reverend Neshwe said, uh, the, um, the police system, police crime, police complicity uh, in corruption. And, of course, appeal to ordinary people who are often the, the, the enablers of corruption. Um, and so, yes, it is a multi-pronged attack, but at the same time with a little bit more humility about uh, the capacity of religions as institutions to contribute to this. And right. then, of course, never losing, uh, never losing uh, track of the fact that um, what we're seeing in front of us is often manifestations of corruption. But the real corruption, I mean, for example, one thinks of African leaders as corrupt, one thinks of black people as corrupt, 
And you never think of the European, um, the big European or the big global North powers that enable African corruption and the, the industrial military complex, huge right. businesses and so on. Um, and so I think it is important to focus on small corruption, you and the traffic cops, and you and the local police. Indeed, services. indeed. But it is also important to notice how our entire system, our entire economy is based on greed, which is at the heart of Hold, hold the thought, Professor. I want to read a few tweets and a few WhatsApps before we conclude our time is up already. To the tweets, Jack Pocket writes, If the book of Romans 13, 1-7 is to be taken literally, then religious leaders should remain neutral. But the book of Luke 16, verse 10 tells us that if, quote, you are untruthful in small things, you should be disbelieved in big things. Rather confusing. Pule at Atheistic Pule writes they are involved in corruption activities. Religious leaders can influence human behavior and actions. One of the social behaviors is corruption, which is important due to its effect on growth, inflation, investment, innovation, and religion benefits from it. Kasiso uh, Solo at uh, Solo Kasiso writes we are not getting solutions from religious representatives. Tweets, Nay, I think it would, big upon other tweets, WhatsApp. Um, Nay, I think it would be quite hard to fight this corruption pandemic if religious leaders are affiliated in the party politics. How do you bring order to the house full of corruption which you are involved in? Until we find an answer to this question, that's when we will know where the religious leaders lie. And lie is an L-I-E. From Richard, I'm going to leave it right there. Thank you very much to all of you, to the Professor, Reverend, and Mamuz Peter. Thank you very much to all of you. I really appreciate your insights. That's how we'll conclude our program for today. From me, Nayelu Pondwana, and the team, have a wonderful evening, and Godspeed. <laughs>